This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This week's guest is a return guest, Lenny Duncan, author of the new book, Dear Revolutionaries, A Field Guide for a World Beyond the Church. This book is in dialogue with Duncan's prior work, including the books Dear Church and United States of Grace. Duncan is forthright about their experience serving in the church, including their disappointment in its response to the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020 following the murder of George Floyd. Their latest book is written in light of these developments, as well as how shows like this one cultivates a certain kind of media ecosystem, what Lenny calls the thought leader industrial complex. Duncan's work may be iconoclastic, but what Duncan wants is to name the things that are holding change back, push through them, and cultivate meaningful community and practices that serve people more than institutions. Both this book and this interview are in an extension and reflection of their story. A couple of notes, we had a pretty short window to talk, and I captured as much as I could during that time. You may also hear some occasional sounds in the audio, including some of the some bangles that uh, Lenny was wearing. I actually think it adds to the ambiance personally, but your mileage may vary there. You can support this show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or by signing up for a subscription to my newsletter, The Post Evangelical Post at postevangelicalpost.com. You can subscribe for free or at $5 a month or $50 a year for those. Uh, for that cost, you get ad-free podcast feeds as well as additional writing from me and a additional short-form podcast that I publish every Monday. You can also support this show as well as Lenny by using the affiliate link that you'll find in the show notes to purchase a copy of Lenny's book from bookshop.org. You can find all my writing and all the links to everything I do online over at postevangelicalpost.com. All right, let's get into it. My guest today is Lenny Duncan. They are a PhD student studying new religious movements and the author of several books. Their latest is Dear Revolutionaries, a field guide for a world beyond the church. Lenny, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. And that's how you know you're doing too much shit. When people just introduce you as this is what this fucker is going to school for. And they've written too much shit. I don't even want to give you the bad news. You're going to have me back January or December of next year for like a whole new project. I'll talk to you about that after this. Yeah, that's I mean, that's uh, that's the nature of the game. Always churning out some sort of content, right? Well, I mean. That's sort of what the book's pushing up against, but I'll let you yeah, get to yeah. that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to get to that. So I'm excited to talk about your latest book. It was a doozy, and it definitely seems to be in dialogue with your other books, that are, and those books are Dear Church and United States of Grace. 
uh, each chapter sort of opens with an epigraph from Dear Church in particular, or most of them do. Um, and But your first statement, first sentence is really your thesis statement. And you say, it's time to prepare for a world beyond the church. That's a really declarative stance, especially for someone that, you know, served in the church. So why yeah. was it important for you to make that statement? I, it, 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 you know, that whole book was written um, at a time when I'm just going to be real honest with it, about it because I'm not a pastor anymore. I turned in my credentials to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. December 23rd, they could all kiss my black artist ass. So, uh, yeah, Pacific Lutheran Seminary hired me. Uh, you know, they made a big to-do about it, but then they never talked about it again because uh, they were going to try and get a million-dollar endowment to try and train pastors. Uh, it was really it was a good idea, you know what I mean? It was the work I was doing in Portland. And so I wrote that book probably a year after doing on-the-ground chaplaincy for Justice for Patrick Kimmons, uh, several Black Bloc leaders, uh, medic teams. Uh, by that point, I had already... I had already... Uh, you know, responded to several mass shootings. So, you know, like, um, with no training, like no one has training for that. Like there are workshops and there are experts, but guess what? Those workshops and experts can't be everywhere. This shit's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so a lot of it was May 30th of 2020. I'm standing in front of the Justice Center because it took me five days to get out there. That's why I always say May 30th. People always think I get the date wrong. I'm just being honest. That's the problem with neurodiversity. So, you know, uh, you know, it took me five days because I first had a, a flight booked, you know, at the end of the United States of Grace. I'm talking about I have a flight booked. You know what I mean? And I want to go to the Twin Cities. And my family thinks that's a bad idea. Or my family at the time, my partner and my daughter, who's still my family, but we're all living together. And uh, yeah, man. Um, and everything I thought I knew about the world just melted in light of uh, what I saw. I saw a president, a sitting president of the United States get suggestions on Fox and Friends that morning. And then try those suggestions out on us. I watched as clergy members were kidnapped. by and then, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these people have covered it. But at the time, no one believed me. So I had spent years being the poster boy for racial justice for this fucking mainline denomination. Um, and I knew how they were using me and I was kind of using them, right? That's the thought leader industrial complex. Somewhere deep down inside, I thought I was holding out something and maybe I could facilitate some large scale, scale, like systemic change. And I watched mothers get shot in their face by federal agents and police because someone suggested on Fox and Friends that morning. And that's when I knew everything I had done was absolute bullshit. Every sermon I had preached, every bishop whose ass I kissed for them to see my humanity. Oh my God. How many meetings I sat in where we labored over if my soul was worthy to be fully recognized. Now, in those conversations, I was the Reverend Lenny Duncan, who constantly talks about racial justice. I was a thought leader and a conversationalist and whatever, but you know, most people 
never had the wherewithal to think, wow, the entire time this person's defending their own existence. I watched my entire world melt. Um, and, you know, uh, our presiding bishop, um, you know, sent one of my, at the time, friends, who's, you know, a famous writer, to come check on me, quote unquote. Um, and they thought because I was like smoking pot again, that's definitely why I seem to be a little bit aggro. It certainly was not watching black people be shot in the streets and clergy be kidnapped by federal agents and no one believing me. Again, I'm a member of the press now. Um, shout out to like uh, OPB. They gave some good reporting the entire time. I can name some of the people, you know, on the ground. Um, but no one believed me. So I spent years really being put out front, man. You know, I've waited to tell the whole story to your show, man, because you've been kind of talking to me about this the whole time. So everyone else, <laughs> everyone else is getting silly, Lenny. This is really what happened. And um, I just felt so betrayed. Like, again, all this stuff is like care, right? It's white people giving care. No one's doing anything harmful except for the fact that no one believes the report of the one black person that they said and that they publicly knew in the denomination of 3.5 million people. Um, they knew went to all these kind of things. They knew wrote about it. And they said was a person that not only do we believe them, but we trust them with the souls and the care of communities. And so in the midst of a traumatic event for black people everywhere, I was not um, perhaps polite enough. And so that's where you got all those weird ranty fucking posts and shit. Because, you know, my back was up against the wall. What was I supposed to do in that situation, right? My friend didn't believe me. You know what I mean? The presiding bishop is just looking for excuses to think something's fucking wrong with me or that I've jumped off the fucking hedge, right? I got friends who were living with me at the time you know, who didn't march for shit, came out twice like cowards. You know what I mean? They're like, wow, Lenny's really strange, right? Well, yeah, I am strange. I'm autistic and like, you know, I have ADHD and I'm an artist and I crank out a book a year. Plus, I've always been in school. I've never stopped getting a degree. So, yeah, but I'm a little strange at home. You know, it's just, it was just a lot, man. It was the, it was, it was the gaslighting of being a black leader in a mainline denomination. And here's my sin, Blake. My sin, I was part and parcel to the, and we can get to this in a minute, uh, the uh, the thought leader industrial complex that's involved with all this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was also part and parcel to um, the fact that I thought I was smarter than every other black person that came through the ELCA. And that's my sin. I saw what they did to everyone. I saw how they treated elders. Yo, they disrespected people. Yo, they said shit that like, where I grew up, I'd have smacked the shit out of you. And I watched these elders take that shit like it was nothing. And then try and rip each other apart. No unity. Bruh. The whole time I was there. So I already knew what, what it was hidden for. Right? But man, you know, I said to one guy, he had been in the ELCA like 30, 40 years, right in the middle of the pandemic, they publicly fucking destroyed him. Just fucking bullshit, you know? Brother, black brother, been serving, you know, at, you know, in the church a long time. And, you know, and he gave a long speech about why we should stay and what a beautiful place it is. And, you know, this is my home. 
right? And I won't let anyone make me feel unwelcome in my home. And I just asked him a question. I said, well, brother, if you've been here 40 years and that's how they treated you, why should I stay? Because that was like a shitty prize at the end of 45 years to be publicly disrespected in multiple ways by people who don't like see your worth. Didn't see you as the seminal leader 20 years ago, certainly are not going to see you now. And not because you aren't. Right? And so, you know, man, uh, that's where a lot of this book comes from, man. It's just like, I don't give a fuck if I sell another one. I don't give a fuck if I come to another conference. I don't give a fuck if another denomination kisses my, you know, like, oh, you could come over here. We totally agree with you. Just come along for the same ride. Like, I'm, I'm out. I quit. And, and I'm not here to trash anyone, but, but, but I'm certainly not here to lie. And, 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 and if you look back at my other work, that's why my work is in conversation with my earlier work. I never lie. I said what I could, when I could, and as much as I could. And, and, and some, you know, uh, being a black artist in this country is a terrifying assignment. That's what, uh, that's what, uh, Baldwin says, like, you know, in a country like this, at a time like this, he's, this, he's saying this in 63, you know, the assignment to be a black writer is terrifying. And the assignment to be a black writer at a time when Christo fast, you know, in my first book, I called it a theological civil war. By the way, kids, there's going to be a lot of assholes out there who have a lot of books out there. Who, well, I've been talking about Christo fascism. Let me tell you something, man. I've lost comrades. I lost comrades. I buried people. And I don't know none of these people. And I bet you if you check around, nobody knows them in the actual fights that happened over the last couple of years. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I didn't predict that shit. No one did. The closest I got is I said there'd be a theological civil war. I knew it was going to be based in like a weird kind of form of evangelical Christianity. But Jesus fucking Christ, I didn't, thought they were, I didn't think they were going to become the AC skins on their way to see fucking the Stray Cats like they did in Charlottesville or like any of that bullshit. You know what I mean? It was only yeah. after I saw it happening that I was like, oh, right. fuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, no matter what people say, like they didn't, nobody could have predicted that things had gone as bad shit as they, as right. they did. You know, like, and, and like, you know, being in, being in, both moderate and more conservative fundamentalist evangelical spaces. Like you're, you know, it's latent there. Um, but you, you wouldn't think that they would have, you know, abandoned, you know, the better angels of their nature. So willing or that they would allow themselves so to be hijacked or, or that they would allow themselves to be hijacked. I mean, you know, sure. I think there are, uh, you know, I'm going to keep it real. I think there are, good actors in evangelicalism. Yes, <laughs> I do. I, do. You know? I just think they, they've been stripped of all their power. <laughs> absolutely. They absolutely have because, you know, man, better ground game. We talked about this three years ago. The other side is better ground game. And, and you're my witness, mm -hmm. man. I've been talking about this shit since way before anyone else. I didn't have all the language tight. I didn't have a check mark next to my name. And, you know, I'm not like some big shit fucking like, you know, smooth talking, like nice looking guy, right? I'm a weirdo queer baby. 
but I've been covering this shit and I've been on the fucking ground, either offering people care, support, or I showed up in the wake of the worst things and walked around and asked questions. Ask them about me on fucking George Floyd Square. They know my fucking name. Ask some of these clowns they are going to be selling you fucking books over the next couple of years. No one knows their fucking name. Ask people in Portland, what, what, what was I there? Right? Not that I did anything, not that I was some fucking hotshot badass, not that I gave some fucking speech. That I was so, you know, I was there because people were being hurt and I cared for them. It's, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of bullshit, man. And this is what, you know, we saw it with the emergent church. We're seeing like the last leg of it with the deconstruction movement. Now they're all going to get horny for esotericism. Like we all haven't been there and doing weird shit in the fucking, you know, I w- if anyone ever called me a church man, they weren't paying attention. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, what the fuck, man? And, and, and now they're going to do a Christo-fascism? Now they're going to make that a fucking thing? Now we're going to go to Christo-fascism resistance fucking uh, conferences? Now we're going to go fucking buy a bunch of books? Now you're going to make t-shirts about it? And that's what my book's about. My book's about fuck that. The truth is there is no fucking book club for this shit. You need to yeah, go out and let's get to that. Sorry. Yeah, let, let's, <laughs> let's talk about that because, I mean, your book does... Uh, you know, your book does deal directly with the sort of media ecosystem that surrounds books like yours, like the one I'm, you know, that I'm working on. And there's this tension between the need to continue to press for systemic change, to educate yourself, to, you know, be involved, all these different things. But like what, you know, the thing that your your most recent book, Dear Revolutionaries, talks about is like, you know, if if the goal is really like liberation for all that's being, that's been talked about uh, for decades by all manner of like black thinkers and other, other leftists and whatever, who, whoever you want to cite, there's decades of people that have been saying that. And so what, what should we be sort of on the lookout to avoid for that sort of navel gazing? Because you're right. Like it can, it can, you know, it can spin into its own thing and it, it can run its course and then then another another thing will come, you know, and it my for me a big focus is history. Like recognizing all yes. this shit. all this all these things have happened before. Like yes, the the way like exvangelical has or deconstruction or whatever has accelerated online, it's part of it, you you named it the emergent church before that. There's all mm-hmm. Also, there's a hundred examples. <laughs> there's so many precedents. There's so many precedents, and it's. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, okay, how do you continue to agitate to to do these things without it being just about the content? <laughs> yeah, no, no, a hundred percent, man. And 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 here's the thing, um, because, and the reason I said that in the book is because that week I was I took me all the way to the twenty first grade. Or I'm in the I, I'm in the 21st now, so I was in the 20th grade last year. Yeah, <laughs> I was all the way in the 20th grade, guys. You know, and I'm a historian, right? And I'm in my history fucking seminar, and an Egyptian scholar's there, and a well-meaning white student says, "You know, great presentation about decolonization and the way that like these things are built in the pedagogy and the way we teach history, and like we need to love recreate the same system. So what can we do?" Right? What can we do? Mm-hmm. Yo, and she says, yo, I, I... 
She just looks around that second, and I could tell she looks at the squares for like, you know, it's like Hollywood squares on Zoom. You, I could tell she looks at like the three squares of black people that are there. Mm-hmm. And she looks down, and you could tell she's like gearing up, you know? And she just unmutes, and she very calmly says, uh, You can't do anything. It's already been done. Uh, I, Me and my friends saved money to come here from Egypt to study under black women because black women figured it out in the 70s. We're trying to take those strategies back home. You refused to implement them and then muted her mic. And that's where that idea comes from, man. So if we know that black women already have come up with, you know, so that like that started my investigation around that. Right. And investigation around my own conduct, because in the book, I don't want to make this clear to your listeners. I don't talk about other people's conduct. Oh, no. I talk about my own complicity and how it looks from the perspective I had. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little bit different, right? Um, but yeah, it does make some, 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 some pretty mean, well, not mean. It just, I'll probably never sell a book after this again, Blake, but that's fine. I mean, <laughs> here's the deal. <clears throat> um, I'm going to give you a spiritual answer and you're going to hate it. But you know how I know I can give my story to you and give bullshit to other people's podcasts? Why? Because I know your listeners watched you do what people fail to do over and over again. Baldwin talks about it. He says you can either be famous or you can write. And no matter how much the two look the same, they have nothing to do with each other. And I watched you be at the front of something. I watched you lay the foundation. I watched a bunch of people pillage it for all kinds of other reasons. And then I watched you do something that only people who are really trying to work on their shit do. People who know the work can destroy them. Who know that what they're creating, you know, they have to be honest if they want to survive it with themselves. Mm. And, uh, and what you did was is you didn't even get mad about that. I just watched you grow. And evolve and continue to stay in the conversation. And that's um, that's what the true poets of a society do. That's what true leaders do. We'll know people by their fruits, Blake. It's a shitty answer, but it's a true one. Listen, man, I still believe in that strange man in Palestine who empowered the 72 with powers that looked more like, you know, what, Paschal Beverly Randolph and the, and the hermeticians talked about than like what the evangelicals talk about. But, you know, that's a conversation for like another day. <laughs> right. You know, and but the truth is, we, you know, man, we'll know people by their fruits. We That's the problem. The problem is, is that we think because online interaction hits us on certain waves, we're like, oh, it gives me pleasure. Oh, it gives me information. Oh, every once in a while, preponderance of it can give me wisdom. That's never going to change looking at a leader, watching who they are, being in community, watching them fall on their face. Watch, you know what I mean? Like, like watching them pick themselves back up. I went through a terrible divorce and was shit on by my denomination. Most people would have lawyered up, would have talked shit over the years, would have named the people I've been talking about specifically, some of the writers and other people involved. I don't do that shit because that's not why I'm here. Mm. Same reason, like when people look at me strange in my PhD program, I say, I'm never going to get a job teaching. I'm here 
so my consciousness can be changed by the experience. The same reason I went to seminary, the same reason I went out to serve people, and the same reason I'm studying, and the same reason I'm telling the truth about the fucking about the problem we're in. And part of the problem is, and this is why the thought leader industrial complex is so dangerous. It convinces us that the colonizer dream in reverse is a way to go. I have no right, no right whatsoever to decide what's best for you 300 miles away, no matter how progressive, liberal, on point, ascended, spiritual. I don't have that right. Do you know why I say 300 miles? Because three, you know, 300 miles away is about, you know, that that's about how far you could get in most societies before this empire shit. The only times things were different were Babylon, Pax Romana, and America. And parts of Western Europe, of course. But this idea that 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 we should decide the laws for an entire continent of people is insane. And it doesn't matter what side of the fucking spectrum you're on. That has nothing to do with community. That has nothing to do with loving your neighbor. That has nothing to do with building out from where you are. That has nothing to do with what's right in front of you. And it has nothing to do with the here and now. It's a fucking Babylon illusion. Hmm. And so the thought leader industrial complex constantly puts out the carrot. We're going to change the church. We're going to do it someday. We're, we're, nope, queer people are going to be alive. We're going to do it, guys. Right? Women, women are going to be respected. We promise. We promise. We promise. We promise the church will do different. Even though 19 centuries show us otherwise. We promise. Oh, oh, no, America's going to love black people. We just need to all come together. And here are the five tips to do it. My experience as a black person is we'll never have justice in this country. And any chimera, it's a chimera to, 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 to send me after that. I may have justice in my community. I may have justice with my neighbors. I may have justice with the merchant down the street. I may have justice in the town I build in and the people in front of me. I may even have justice at the places I end up teaching or whatever in my future, mm-hmm. even though I say I won't. Right? I may have justice in that sense. In the sense of the same way the Nazarene did, right? He didn't have justice all over the entire world. He didn't have justice all over all of Israel. He had justice where he was, where he could, when he could. Mm-hmm. It's all bullshit, man. And so, like, I'm just not buying into it. And the only people who who profit are people like, I hate to say it, but you and me. Like, we're the only people who make money from that stuff. You know what I mean? We're the only people who do well from that stuff. And yeah, I haven't made a bu- as much money as other people, right? Because I, I have sold out for integrity. But guess what? Um, I have access. And that's privilege. Yeah. yeah I have definitely. a ton of fucking access. Like, I was just thinking about the idea of a movie, and I knew who to go to with it, and now we're doing a storyboard, and they're going to pitch it around. That's access. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah, yeah, like, okay, I didn't fucking hit the new york times bestseller list but i've made the best of i invest in people man like how we've been in the conversation for a long time now about a couple books Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i say no to a lot of people i'm sure the publisher warned you (laughs) 
Well, thank you. I mean, thank you. Just to to track backtrack. Thank you for your kind com- comments. I, I do I do appreciate that. Um, I, I, yeah. It it is such a it is a tricky space to be in if you're trying to be conscious of the traps of capitalism and a lot of other things. I mean, because because yes, there's always the reality that you have to you have to pay bills or you know you or die to, <laughs> and and i mean if if part of that work is that then you either have to build something that you can grow in a way that you are at peace with or <laughs> you sacrifice a little bit or you know you change change your concept of what you're doing no uh, so I, I mean think, i think we're probably we're aligned there you know like yeah it's um it is definitely because because it's easy to see some of those things and you know whether you participate whether people participate them in, in them or not is their choice but but i but i you know i naming it and saying like you know this is this is a this is what it is um and there that there is a market element to it i think is important because that's part of the that's part of this you you talk about in your book how like this is a struggle that's going to take generations. <laughs> you right. Know? It's not going to, it's not going to, you know, uh, that's not the way that's not, not the way it works in this country. <laughs> like, no, change and you know, come quick, except, you know, once, once every generation or two, you know, and, um, the rest of the time, it's a pretty slow development of, uh, justice. And I like what you have to say about, um, about sort of being ge- geographically limited. Mm. Um, and I think that's really, that's another really interesting aspect of, of your book is the way in which you, you emphasize community. You definitely say, look, these, inst- these big institutions, they're going to preserve themselves first and then think about, then think about the rest of the world, you know? Yeah. And the one community you can directly affect is the one that you're, you, you find yourself in where where you're where you're located in time and space yeah um because like because i you also got to the point in just a minute ago about how basically uh you know like online communities they're communities of a type but they're not the same sort of the ones that are formed you know at a church or down the block or you know that it's it's not this it's Mm. it's not the same thing because they can't a lot of times I can't reach through that phone and like, and, and do what you need or, or be there or see anything beyond what you share with the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sense. yeah, no, a hundred percent. And a lot of my tactics that I share in the book are like, wow, aren't I grateful I did this before the world fell apart or aren't mm-hmm. I grateful I did this while the world was falling apart. And so, you know, um, you know, if you're if you're listening to the show and like you were an old school like church planter and you got sucked into that whole marketing thing for a while, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna recognize some of these tactics. You're gonna be like, uh, yeah, I, um, I know some of these, right? And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and I, I kind of make the the argument that the only reason the police exist is because we won't do the most fundamental uh, uh, commandment of Christ: we refuse to love our neighbor. Hmm. And so, yeah. 
you know, if you want to get into abolition work, it's about like, here's what I know. I know when shit fell apart. Um, and like the Portland police department was like, fuck y'all then. And they were like doing like two hours on 911 calls just to get the complaints up right before the election. They did this for like a year before the election. And like, no one's paying attention. You know, it's a pandemic fucking, you know, the only people who know are people out, you know, doing aid. And, uh, but, you know, we're pulling up to stores and seeing the shit smashed and the alarm going off and the worker just out front smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, they don't give a fuck. We're like, what's going on, man? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, call the police. But, you know, the average, like, you know, it's like two hours, right? Two hours. So, like, you know, after we had whipped their ass at the Injustice Center and we made, like, water throughout the rest of the city, then these cowards... You know, they stop answering calls. So the average citizen gets mad, you know, and the average citizen was mad. They're like, hey, fuck you guys. You made 911 go away. We could come back, you know. And so we said, well, we, we don't want to do that. But like, we'll start answering calls for you. We'll start taking care of situations. We'll start talking to the homeless encampment that scares you on the corner. We'll start dropping off food to them. We'll figure out who's the porch pirate, see if we can make it stop. We'll find your car that was stolen. Yeah, we'll do that stuff. That's the stuff you call for, right? Yeah, we'll do that. And 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 the funny thing is, just from a network of community people, um, you know, free clinics are popping up, uh, food networks are popping up. Uh, uh, I I can state for a fact personally, the kids got my daughter's van back in like two hours. I mean, like, you know, like no one got hurt. Everyone got sent home. One guy was like, "I want money to go get high." They're like, "Here you go." Another guy was like, "I think I want help." They're like, "We'll give you a ride." Like, you know, like. Right. And no one was harmed. Mm. And so, um, but none of that would have worked if people didn't know each other. Yeah. yeah. And what happened for us in Portland is that no, uh, our reality was so different than everyone else's for a year. And then maybe, you know, it still is very different up there. Um, depending on like what Portland you're living in. Right. Cause you can still, cause now Portland's like Ted, uh, Ted Wheeler, and uh, the mayor of Portland, and may I say, as someone who lived in Portland, as anyone who's ever signed into a city council meeting, fuck you, Ted Wheeler. Um, but uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler, who also happens to be the commissioner of police somehow constitutionally, figure that one out, America. Um, but no police problem there. Yeah, that guy, uh, you know, he's he's really pushed for like two Portlands to be back. So you could live in Portlandia. Or, like, you could, like, maybe turn on the Burnside Bridge on the wrong day and see some, like, fucking real dystopian warfare shit happen. <laughs> Be like, what mm. the fuck just happened, you know? Um, but it was all that for a while, man. Um, but if we didn't know our neighbors and if the world hadn't been rendered like that, you know, and that's what happens when, like, a weird fascist president shoots tear gas at kids for three months. You know, even Republicans start letting you run in their house to fucking breathe for a second. They keep running. Even though ladies start handing out water to you, even taxi cab drivers and the local 7-Eleven guy end up being the people who get shot next to you. Those are the people who were with me. These weren't leftists. These were, these were moms, veterans, taxi cab drivers. Like, you know what I'm saying? These were average people. Were, were, those, were other people there? Of course they were. It's fucking poorly. But, but yeah. The average person at first that I was there with, the ones I watched get quote unquote radicalized, were just average citizens who couldn't believe that the police department were using warfare that the Geneva Convention says was illegal. 
on their citizens over and over again. And the news was lying about it. The newspapers were lying about it. And when OPB tried to tell the story, the editors there even said, how much can you say? You know what I mean? Because you can't have a story that's so radically different than everyone else who was standing there. And, and a lot of the reporters didn't have the power analysis to understand what was going on. There was a lot of follow the black guy out there. Follow the black girl. Follow the black queer. Right? But not every black. And not all skin folk are fucking kin folk. Yo, shout out to Pastor Hennessy. You're a fucking traitor to your people. Anyway. And it was only the community that really made those things possible. Happen. Yeah, uh, you know, right. I think right now, food for communities up to fifty thousand people fed since the death of George Floyd by being the blue apron of fucking mutual aid. Hmm. I mean, they they what all they do is they make the relationship with the hostless encampment in your house, and then they cook seven meals. They drop them off at your house. All you have to do is throw them in the oven when you get home, and you walk it down the street. A fucking ten minute thing, and all of a sudden everyone's fed. Hmm. You do a network of that of people dropping them off in neighborhoods and clusters, and all of a sudden you're feeding the whole fucking city. And it's easy. And I, uh, a, a trans woman was doing that shit. Like, I think off her food stamps at first. So that shit got started. Like, it's just fucking wild, man. It's just fucking yeah. wild what we can do when we come together. Yeah. I've only, I've only got a few minutes left because I've got a, I've got a, a thing that I've got to do for childcare things. So this is just to, we we could talk forever. So I mean, how we need dare to, you we continue to, the race? I, if we, <laughs> I thought this was it. I thought this was the last act. Stop having children. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, we uh, one of the things that I that is really interesting, and when I say something like interesting, it's not just to fill time. It's it's really I mean it as like it's really engaging. It's thought provoking. When I say it, it's not. Anyways, that's that's how I. Yes, the academy has broken me too. Yes, the academy so. has broken me as well, Blake. Because <laughs> that's the um, that's the most excited white people get in the academy. What I find <laughs> interesting about that paper that's how you know you uh, made some. You're like that girl might see me after the conference. Mm. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. though. <laughs> so, so yeah, I what I really liked uh, was the way in which you you incorporated a, a lot of these spiritual practices, uh, you know, as uh, an uh, essential, especially this type of ancestral work, um, which I had never, I had always sort of observed, especially people of color going to uh, like talking about reclaiming the types of spirituality that may have been, that may have been erased from their experience before, you know, Um, but I'd never seen it incorporate incorporated into sort of challenging whiteness which was one thing that i thought was really fascinating and like what is it uh about these spiritual practices um and exercises that that you say are like for waging peace um yeah why i want to since we only have a few minutes left yeah um, i'd love to focus on why that ancestral practice is so important because you say like Okay, it is, is your is your family history full of horror? So is mine. Um, learn from it, learn, and then try to find the people that resisted that too. I, I don't have your direct quote in front of me. I apologize. Oh, don't worry. But, yeah, no, yeah, no. I'd love to talk about that because that's really 
the interesting thing about the book is you're not going to get a ton. <coughs> this is what you do on the streets or, you know, this is, here's your little tactic. There's some of that, but the beginning of it focuses on ancestral work. And, um, and, you know, I don't blame you, Blake. It's, it's hard for like the white. And I don't mean this in any disrespectful way. Cause I, th I do think you pay a lot of attention, but like, yeah, of course you saw black people doing ancestral work and thought of that as something they were doing that was theirs, but not something that, they were leading you towards, right? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's hard. Not as something that to like appropriate. Yeah, so exactly. Felt, you know, there's 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 a line between recognizing the value it has to a community that's not yours. Exactly. And also, like and and feeling like similar work would be appropriative. And the other I... thing that's the other thing that's difficult as a white white person is like sometimes the shit back then really sucked too or like yeah oh yeah oh yeah go, you have to go past you know you know uh zarara you know like you yeah to get pre-1400 to like get some, yeah yeah you gotta be like i'm shit. i'm i'm into parcellus i'm super into john d let me look out you know listen i mean here's the thing you're don't look at the church don't look at theology one of the things we talk about um and New religious movements, which I always say is just another way of saying history of weird shit. That's all <laughs> we study is weird shit. And um, but this isn't weird, man. It's not weird for you to set up an altar with a white um, with a white um, tablecloth with one candle and a picture of one person from each of your line. Uh, people in cultures all around the world have done this. Um, the African traditions around it. Yeah, you probably should not be saying Yoruban or Gungun chants, right? That's probably not for you, Blake. Yeah. Right? That's... <laughs> but 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 there are things that are yours. Yeah. And, and and you don't have to go far for it, man. You already got an altar set. I don't know about you, but I'm just saying your listeners, they already have an altar at home. It's already set up. There's some tarot on there and some other things, or they've got some crystals arranged in some way. And they're already doing worshipful things in their home. All I'm inviting them to do is to know that their ancestors... You know, and I don't talk about this in the book like too explicitly, but you know, like if I say this part, if, if you know, like you are the way you are because there's a John Brown in your family, you are the way you are because there was already a Blake, and, and, and you're beyond your ancestors' wildest dreams. The stuff that you're able to do and fight for and to be that person just kept maybe deep, wrapped deep, deep inside. And sometimes it's the blanks, it's the quiet parts of our stories with our families that really, you know. Tell us the most. Take my aunt Sissy, for example, who taught me the most about saints and candles and all that stuff, right? You know, she was a Yanish, so she was raised with sort of this folk Catholicism. But, you know, being queer now, when I look back, maybe her and my uncle Tommy weren't just good Catholics because they lived together as brother and sister till the day they died, just took vacations with their friends from the war. <laughs> right? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe there's more to that story, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's it's the blanks. It's the blanks. It's the empty spots. It's the spaces. Mm -hmm. And we want to do this work. Why do we want to do this work? Because our ans your your ancestors are just like any other soul. They've crossed over to another plane where they can see everything they've ever done. And they want they want you. Uh Haile Selassie I, in his um nineteen sixty-three address to the UN says, you know, blessed is the generation that learns from the mistakes, you know what I mean? The, 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 the blood, uh, the, the epitaph of the one before it. 
you know, and, and this taps us into that. And you could do more than on, on All Saints Day. You can do that more when their anniversary comes up. They are there. Ancestral meeting, uh, um, you know, in, in white culture in Victorian England, it was a seership and, 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 and those kind of parties. So throw one of those parties. I don't know, man. But, but, but it's there for you. And it's really important work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. you've been, I want to, you know, in the exchange for whiteness, you lost what it meant to be Italian, what it meant to be German, what it meant to be English, what it meant to be, and not just a whole nation, but what did it mean to be your clan, your people, your particular people? Mm-hmm. What did they do? And as you know, as you know, as someone who loves history, there's so much variance in worship and oh, none yeah. of that shit has anything to do with Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like so far away from Jesus. It's amazing, right? Exactly how he wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that I, I think is a, is a really, um, like your, your book is definitely full of a lot of challenges, a lot of a really strong statements, but it's also full of these moments of like, find some comfort, <laughs> find some, find something that if it's not comfort, at least it's, solace <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean you know what i mean and I, yeah and uh and that that's what makes it like a, a well-balanced book <laughs> as a reader and I'm well, i wanted to write it for the revolutionary and for the practitioner for those of us who are out there in the fight i'm tired of writing 101 books mm. mm-hmm. i wanted to write a short book about like hey did you get your ass kicked from the last couple of years here's the things that like kept me alive and they actually worked we changed things I, I'm convinced if it wasn't for the sacrifices of June T-Rex Knightley and other comrades who fell um, in 2020 all around this country, um, then last week wouldn't have went the way it would. Well, Lenny, thank you very much for taking some time to talk to me about the book. Uh, the book is called Dear Revolutionaries, and it will be available soon. And wherever you buy books, anything else you want to mention here at the top? I know you've also got a, a Substack and some other activities. Oh yeah, yeah, do yeah. I, I got a Substack. I got another book coming out. I'm like doing shit. I got you know like, but like you know, let's. I, I'm like, I, I've taken enough time off uh, just to focus on one book at a time for once. I'm being a grown up writer at the there end. You go. There you so go. yeah, no, um, yeah. Check out my Substack though, Sor- a sorcerer's notebook. Uh, it's uh, basically I do all the things in esoterica you're ever afraid to do. So if you're like, I would never, ever, ever have I ever decided to go to that place and do that right. I probably did it in the '90s on LSD, <laughs> and I'll write to you about it. So like, you know, Rob, we were like, wow, what heinous thing would happen if you did this and this? I bet you I have an anecdote. And that's what the <laughs> that's what the books of I mean that's what the notebooks about. It's meant to be a tongue in cheek, but like really, how do we use these things? And you know, it's it's a further step from like you know this ancestor work. Like, um, how do we use the things that have fallen into the waste basket waste basket of modernity? Right, mm-hmm. these things that we say we don't need anymore that obviously we do. Yeah, listen, you know, yeah. the lights went on for some of us March of twenty twenty, and for the rest of us, it was nice hanging out with you. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks very much, Lenny. See you, bud.